I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. When this news came that Sam Mendes is going to direct four different Beatles biopics, one for John, one for Paul, one for George, and one, of course, for Ringo, that, by the way, are all supposed to come out in the same year. I don't know if you caught that part of it, but I just double-checked. The head of Sony told Hollywood Reporter, that is the plan. I said, I need to talk to uh, Rob Sheffield about this. I need to discuss (laughs) this. What was your first reaction to this news? It's fascinating news. It's the first time something like this has come from Apple, which makes all the difference. It's very different from Peter Jackson doing the get back thing. Peter Jackson and the Beatles is a match that really does make very clear sense. It makes all the sense in the world. In retrospect, it looks inevitable that someone with his epic scope would be taking on Get Back. Sam Mendes is a more more arcane connection. That one is like more of a surprise. It's like, yeah, he does James Bond movies, and also he's going to be telling the story of the Beatles. It's it's different from previous fictional versions, mostly just because it's inside and because Apple knows what they're doing with this. Sam Mendes wouldn't have been the first name that would have popped to mind. Apple, Jeff Jones, they know exactly what they're doing. The idea is, so Sony is thinking that with the movie business in flux, the idea is to take these big innovative swings that the same old thing doesn't necessarily work and it's a great time to try something huge and wildly different. And so that's the idea with four different movies. It's hard to, I can see how it would work. It, It certainly raises a lot of questions of how it works as far as telling different parts of their stories, different chronological bits of their stories in four different movies, one of them focused on Ringo. I will say to back up, we should point out that this is all part of this incredible music biopic boom of the last few years. Bohemian Rhapsody showed that even a biopic that we might not think is, air quotes, good, could become a tremendously beloved movie for young people and and really seemingly kick off an entire generation into being a obsessed with Queen. And I actually think part of it is that it wasn't that great and was still huge because what the movie business is always looking for is things that aren't execution dependent. They're looking, which summed up means it can still be, it can be bad and still make money. So they're looking for familiar properties, IP, they would call it. And this realization with, with also with Rocketman, Elton John, the Bob Marley movie was big. The realization is that actually music biopics are IP in their way. They can be franchises the way that a superhero name, like the Beatles is a, as big a brand as like Spider-Man or Superman. So the idea is that. And so it's, it's very interesting. What I hope is this leads to, it's already led to some great movies, Bohemian Rhapsody aside. And I hope that these will be good movies. I mean, we're also going to talk a little bit about the history of Beatles movies, which is a long and fascinating one. But I, I hope for this, they take the Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> approach. And so there'll be a scene where it's 1972. And Paul says, hey, why don't we do a movie called Sgt. Pepper? We'll do an album called Sgt. Pepper. And then maybe around 1978, they could say, hey, what if we did an album with a white cover and we just called it The White Album? Are you suggesting that Bohemian Rhapsody was not entirely accurate in its adherence to facts, is what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, it's 1980. I have this great idea for a new song. We will rock you. It's been our most famous song for the past two years. My favorite thing about Bohemian Rhapsody, and I've said this before, is that during the period when Queen broke the cultural boycott on South Africa and played Sun City. In the movie version of reality, the band wasn't even together. They're on hiatus in the movie reality, so it couldn't have happened. So that's my favorite. That's awesome. I think that's just an amazing rewrite of history. It couldn't have happened. Yes, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Also, it's funny because my wife is an astrophysicist, so while I was noting all the things they were getting wrong about Queen's career, she was noting all the things they got wrong about Brian May's astrophysics career. <laughs> like There's a part where Freddie says, if you never met me, you'd just be Dr. Brian May, author of boring dissertation that nobody... Allie was saying, wait, he is Dr. Brian May. Did write his dissertation. It was really good research. It's serious (laughs) stuff. But in terms of the internal problem with bios, and very much to its credit, Bohemian Rhapsody got this part absolutely right, which is it's impossible to cast the rock star because as the old truism goes, and it is an accurate one, you can't have an actor playing a rock star because actors aren't cool enough to be rock stars. And if they were, they wouldn't be actors. They'd be rock stars. And Rami Malek 
absolutely excelled so much at as Freddie Mercury that really they could let everything else about the movie slide. The way you put it, execution dependent is so incisive that, that they said, this guy is so good at inhabiting Freddie Mercury emotionally, then we can basically like let everything else like slide by. And having four people to play the Beatles is definitely going to be a very interesting feat. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? How does that work? Do you have actors in mind? Can you see it? I have a lot of hopes. I certainly have a lot of... Uh, my main hope is that they'll take the Todd Haynes, Bob Dylan, I'm not there approach. Yeah. And just have different actors play them at different times. But they won't, so I doubt it. I think it's. I think this is more of a mainstream affair. That does bring up an interesting point because presumably, if I had to guess, supposedly one dude's going to be making all these movies and they're all going to come out in the same year. Presumably, they're going to cast four actors and those four actors will be in all four movies. But maybe not. You're saying that you you wonder how they might handle that. I guess I, I like the idea that for different incarnations of them, like I like the idea of having like six different people play John for like all the different Johns that there were. Also, I it, it'd be really cool if they took the Ghostbusters approach <laughs> and just cast four women as the Beatles. I think that would be the coolest possible way to do it. The thing <laughs> is that the Beatles themselves are more famous than any movie stars ever. Yes. The Beatles are more famous than any movie IP ever, the only real challenge would be Star Wars. And I like the idea of them having like little Mandalorian like offshoots that would just be about P Best <laughs> or just a little Mal Evans movie franchise as a sub franchise. I feel like they're going to be introducing all these like minor characters. Oh, also, I'm really like excited for the, the closing credits reveals for these movies. There's a band from London that wants a song from you guys. I like the idea of the George movie. There's the end credits. And then suddenly we see Bob Dylan poke his head in and say, hi, I'm starting a team. We're going to be traveling. We're going to be traveling. Yes. <laughs> and that's actually the other context, by the way, a movie I'm tremendously looking forward to is James Mangold's Bob Dylan biopic that is going to, I think, start production soon with Timothy Chalamet playing Bob Dylan. There, there is ample opportunity for that crossover you suggested they're assembling they're assembling Absolutely. the, the uh, justice league or avengers of classic rock the goal is to be able to do you know the concert from bangladesh in full with all of the actors <laughs> but it is wild i think that this is going to we've already seen young people get into elvis presley that was the other one i didn't mention is because of the elvis biopic there are i've seen young women on tiktok lusting after elvis presley from 1957 due to this whole thing so that this creates bizarre cultural ripples. It's going to be hard to find a Paul McCartney. Paul is a unique looking person. I think of all of them, I feel like that's almost the hardest. That's a tough one. That'll be impossible. It's weird <laughs> that with the track record of fictional Paul McCartneys who've knocked it out of the park, is really just one, which is Aidan Quinn in Two of Us. Whereas there's been a surprising number of actors who've done John Lennon really well. It's, it's very surprising. The thing is having all four of them as the Beatles, that's, that's beyond fantasy. Having like four actors play the most famous team in the history of, of human teamwork, it's that's daunting. It'll be really fascinating to see how they do that. It's interesting. It feels like something like Backbeat. It feels like the most successful attempts at doing fictional Beatles are always super early before they were famous because you don't mentally compare them to the actual Beatles in Hard Day's Night. You don't have as many images in your head of the Beatles in Hamburg, so you can more easily forgive the lack of physical resemblance or whatever, but it, it gets to the nth level of difficulty. As you say, when you get to the Beatles during Beatlemania, that's tough. That's tough. We have so many images. There's Honestly, though, on the other hand, there have been two, in my opinion, two convincing performances as Elvis in the last three to four years, in my opinion. Okay. And what are those? <laughs> both in Priscilla and Elvis, I thought that those were both decent attempts at Elvis, or at least respectable attempts at Elvis, each capturing different elements of him. So I love that Jacob Elordi, for his Elvis, which I thought was very good, it captured the the sort of the darkness of the king in Priscilla, that he, he basically slicked up his hair and put on the outfit and went, whereas Austin Butler spent like half of his lifetime living living and talking and breathing and eating his Elvis. It, it, it's like that famous Laurence Olivier quote to uh, Dustin Hoffman on the set of <laughs> Marathon Man, when, which you know when Dustin went running for three miles to try to approximate being sweaty and nervous and, and Laurence Olivier said, have you ever considered acting, my dear boy? I, I, I take it you were less impressed by the Elvi. Yeah, I didn't think they were... <laughs> I didn't think they were good or they weren't the problems with those movies. Austin 
Butler was by far the best thing about Elvis, which I, I mean as more of a compliment than it sounds. But he was the least of that movie's problems. He was very good, I thought, in a thankless task, considering he was considering what he was asked to do, which was just really a travesty. It's like, I do think it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Timothy Chalamet as well. I honestly possibly think that Timothy Chalamet has a harder task than anyone playing any of the Beatles. I think it's, it's that's not easy either, or at least equal. It's not easy to be 1965 Dylan or 1963 Dylan. It's definitely true. Timothy Chalamet he can honestly if they did a movie with timothy chalamet as all four beatles that would be great <laughs> i have total confidence in his bob dylan but it is a thing where you hit it on the head when you said that the real the big challenge for these movies is a hard day's night and the fact that at a certain point you're casting the beatles as the 1964 beatles that were so immortalized in one of the great music themed movies of all time there's no way any team of actors assembled to play the beatles at that era could compare with the Beatles in A Hard Day's Night. And with Bob Dylan, it's the same thing with Don't Look Back. Like, there's no way anybody could top the comedy and the horror of that performance. It's a lot. They're doing these pretty fast. They're going to have to do the thing where they have to either learn to play or learn to fake it convincingly. They're going to have to deal with the singing, which is a whole other issue. And then you multiply the singing times four because you're not just, if you, God forbid, they have them sing themselves and they're going to have to try to harmonize. I now feel as anxious as Sam Mendes should feel about trying to make this work. I'm getting anxiety now. Okay, but so far we've been talking about the challenges of it and, and the main <laughs> reasons that nobody's attempted something like this before because it's if Apple thinks they can do it, they don't have a track record of failure with stuff like this, with managing this IP. It is the best managed IP. That sounds like such a bloodless way to talk about <laughs> the friggin' Beatles. But it's the best managed IP, arguably, in the history of IP. But in terms of, like, they really have handled this brand so brilliantly. And again, it sounds, I apologize for even referring to the Beatles as a brand, but I feel like they wouldn't have even gone to this step that they've gone in just saying that this is going to happen unless they were just 100% sure that they could do this, because that's how Apple does it. It's in the tradition of the Beatles and Neil Aspinall when he was doing it. Like, it's very much in the tradition of doing the wrong thing, doing it the wrong way is so much worse than doing nothing at all. On the plus side, as you said, talk about fertile ground for storytelling. Yeah. There are, to say four movies is a stretch is ridiculous because there's probably, we could probably sit here and come up with 50 different movies about different periods of these people's lives and different moments. I hope one of them is post Beatles. Be amazing. I think that's too much to ask for. But, and also the fifth movie about Yoko, probably too much to ask for. But that will be in the spinoff universe with not quite with Mal Evans, its own its own thing. Actually, a Yoko biopic, honestly, probably would be absolutely amazing. Like a as, real as Britney said, Sofia Coppola's Yoko. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you pan over from the Beatles having fun, and then there's Yoko looking bored and looking out a window. That's Sofia Coppola. <laughs> I would see a movie about Yoko and Linda when they were classmates at Sarah Lawrence. Some sort of imaginary scenario where they were in detention together mm -hmm. and you just see them like alone in the classroom for an hour. That would be fascinating. The thing is with the Beatles, there's all these relationships have so many of these tiny moments that could sustain a movie in themselves. My favorite fictional Beatles movie, Two of Us, is just about one day, one imaginary fictional day in, in the life of John and Paul supposedly hanging out for a day in, in the 70s. But it it's a thing where there's so many different episodes in the Beatles' career, which could be an entire movie in themselves. If you had to guess, one way to structure it would be the simplest thing would be to make it strictly chronological. And each of the four movies is actually just one period of time. But you tell that period of time through one Beatle. Is that if, and if I had to guess how they're handling it, that would be my guess. Whether that's best or not, that's just it just seems like the most straightforward way. But if you had to seriously guess how they're going to handle it, the, the fact that there's four movies, four Beatles, what's your best guess? Well, I'm guessing since it's four individual ones, there's going to be a bit of backstory. For one thing, like you said, you really brilliantly put it about why so many of the Beatles movies have been focused on the early days just because that's the period where there's more creative license because they weren't in public for those. Nowhere Boy, a phenomenal movie about John Lennon in his early days, but the other Beatles, they all have like really fascinating origin stories. People joke about the Ringo movie. Ringo had just the most colorful life, just in terms of like emotion, in terms of like tragedy, in terms of like hard times. He grew up in a much tougher part of Liverpool than the others. He grew up in the Dingle. Ringo was the guy who made everybody in Liverpool really angry because he went to see the NWA biopic straight out of Compton. And he said he loved it because it reminded him of home. 
He said it was just like growing up in Liverpool. And that was so controversial back in the, the, the Liverpool newspapers. Ringo was the guy who really had that kind of life growing up. And of course, he was sick and not expected to live to be 16. And that he actually spent years of his life in the hospital. He only learned, he missed so much school, he only learned to read because one of his cousins taught him. And he, he was just very, part of his personality was that he was isolated from other kids for so long. And so he's, the Ringo story just up to meeting the Beatles would be a fascinating story in itself. I think because that material is so rich, but if I had to guess, it's probably a mix of like sort of those flashbacks with carrying the narrative forward of the Beatles story. If I had to guess, it's some kind of split like that. I don't imagine that they stick with the pre-Beatles days. One of the things that's been interesting with all these biopics is that increasingly they're more and more authorized, right? And we saw some of the negative effects of that, particularly in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, where the, the preposterous sort of obvious jockeying to make sure each member got equal screen time and also the sort of whitewashing of anything dark. And look, John Lennon, obviously there's some complex things in his life and like various parts from early on to later on. He talked a lot of his misogynistic life, especially that the, the darkest part of his life story, the, the bleakest. And yes. He, that's not like that's something that was, exposed after his death. That's something he talked about repeatedly in his 30s, which is like absurd. There were no other rock stars in the 70s in their 30s talking about the misogyny and violence that was part of their lives in their teens and 20s. And that's just part of the, the tragedy of like John Lennon dying so young was he was engaged in this project way before, 40 years before it was even considered fashionable for rock stars to even think about these things. That's absolutely right. There was no one needed to blow on the whistle on John Lennon besides John Lennon himself. Depicting some of that stuff in a movie, it's one thing to have John talk about it. Whenever we as outsiders, observers have these discussions, a lot of times they're having the identical discussion internally. How do we handle this? How do we do this? How do we do it without turning John Lennon into a villain? Because that's not, that wouldn't be accurate and it wouldn't be fair. But without whitewashing, I think that Sean is making these decisions really at this point, and he's doing the sign-off is my understanding for the family at this point. It'll be interesting what they allow. It'll be interesting to see how far they push it. I just don't know. I, I think it would be, I guess what I would say, it would be a mistake to present a totally whitewashed version, especially because something that slips under even the standards of disclosure, as you said, that John set for himself. I think that would be a mistake. Yeah. Nobody dished the dirt on John like John, and he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. And honestly, like, like, there's a, a, a lot about the story. In terms of depicting that stuff, it's funny, like, when you talk about whitewashing in a, like, rock band movie, you talk about Bohemian Rhapsody, but also there's the dirt, where Motley Crue are basically, like, the monkeys in that movie. They're, like, four <laughs> lovable guys, and, like, and there's just the most, like, like really weird, like, side... There's a scene where they depict Tommy Lee, like, committing an act of domestic violence on the tour bus, and, and of course, the others being shocked as they see this, but... It's like that's one where they really like had a lot of decisions to make about how unlikable they were willing to let these characters be. And it's fair to say, like totally chickened out of all these decisions, just said like, now nah, we'll just make them lovable. And there's narrative reasons for doing that. Like absolutely nobody would want to spend two hours watching a movie about like what awful people they might have been or in, in, in that particular era. That's just not the kind of movie that they were making. What would be your ideal era for a, a Paul movie or ideal storyline or ideal thing to capture? That's interesting because there's so much of the story is in public and documented on film. And you know, how can you have actors doing those Beatles press conferences? Like they were the funniest comedians in show business in, of, of their time. So I feel like the most successful parts will be when they avoid competing with the Beatles. And I think that's like, that's the way to do it. So much of their private moments, honestly, I would love as much as they're willing to give. And I'm probably very much in the minority. You and I probably both would love to see this and we're probably in the top one or two percentile of, of moviegoers who would actually like to see scenes where they're in the studio making creative decisions. But those are the most fascinating moments. So those are the moments that when you listen to these like this astounding like series of reissues that they've done over the past eight years and where you hear like these 
discussions that they're having in the studio about how to do these things, those are those are just the most fascinating moments. And they created those decisions impacted all our lives ever since, because like that's what we've been hearing. And just hearing something like a great moment I love on the Revolver recent box set where they're doing a George song that's called I Want to Tell You, except George hasn't decided on the title, even though every other line in the song is I Want to Tell You. And you hear like they're making fun of George that he can't think of a song title. And Ringo says, I want to tell you would make a nice title. And it's like, wow, George, you're like, you're forcing Ringo to be the bad cop here. But I feel like moments like those that we haven't seen over documented, I would love to see lots of those. I really love this sort of imagery. And I doubt this is something that Paul really wants to focus on. But I really like when Paul was living in with Jane Asher and her family in an attic yeah. apartment upper middle class family and just being part of their daily lives and composing on the piano and just something very poetic about that, that he chose that lifestyle and then he would just have breakfast with the family and then pop off and go record whatever album was at the time. And there's something to that. I can see that cinematically. General public probably isn't super aware of that period. That would be cool. I, again, I don't think if, if there's a romantic relationship in Paul's life that he wants to celebrate on film, I would expect that there's a list of ones he wouldn't want to be depicted and that's one of them. Not the top one he wouldn't want to depict it, but, but definitely not that one. So that's tricky. I think probably the Paul Linda love story actually could be very cinematic, actually. Uh, Absolutely. I think there's something to that. Mm -hmm. And for Paul and Jet, honestly, the uh, the Beatle marriages would be, honestly, four movies about the four Beatle wives <laughs> would be, like, so fascinating in themselves. Honestly, like, all the Beatle wives. Like, but just Patty, such a fascinating character. Maureen, such a fascinating character. Jane Asher, such a fascinating character. Cynthia, such a, like, tragic and, and heroic figure. And that, or also Olivia and Barbara Bach and Nancy. There's just such a astounding collection of incredibly strong female characters in the Beatles story. And, and the, the fact that they all had such badass moms is such an astoundingly strong part of the story. The fact that Paul and John both lost their mothers at a very early age and that we all know their mother's names because they all wrote because John made sure that everybody knows Julia and Paul made sure that everybody knows Mother Mary. Where's There's no other rock stars stories that compare to this. We don't know any of the Stones moms names. You know, I mean, you and I know like details like this, like about rock stars, but in terms of how much they're willing to make them part of the story, it's that seems like that could be a really fascinating thing to focus on since it's one of the things that makes them unique. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Absolutely. For George, I feel like it's almost the whole arc. I feel like that's a pretty satisfying movie in itself, this whole story. The aspect of George's underdog Beatle condescended to writing all these songs that they're not paying attention to is such rich material. It pops right away when you think about it. That's such natural movie material. It's almost weirdly more natural than John or Paul in a way, because it's like you sympathize so much with him, you know, then all the, the, the spiritual stuff and the Indian music. The problem is that's all been played for comedy so many times. <laughs> things like walk hard that it's tough you're thinking of like youtube videos like you know as well like people love to do like you know like reels and tiktoks and where they're you know like parodying scenes in the beatles story because there's been such a boom in that and it's funny to imagine how funny they're willing to let the beatles be but especially george who was the bitchiest beetle and in so many ways the funniest like in terms of like funny lines there's this that great clip that nobody knew existed till a couple of years ago where they're playing I've Got a Feeling in the Get Back sessions and, and they're playing and George just says like, huh, is this one called I've Got a Feeling? And <laughs> it's like, wow, bitchy George never fails. And I feel like if they really just let him be Betty Davis in this movie, that would be so <laughs> phenomenal. I do, by the way, I don't know why, but I really see Rafe Fiennes as George Martin. He'd need a tube. But, wow. He, but other than that, I think that's pretty much perfect. I think that they pretty much actually have to do that. I loved how in 
Rocket Man, they just had Giles play George, which is like <laughs> absolutely the brilliant way to do it, which was funny because they were looking for an extra to play George Martin in Rocket Man. And Giles was there like supervising the music. And the director <laughs> said, like, look, you just do it. The actor playing Elton complimented Giles on his excellent George Martin like sideburns, that they were very vintage, very period accurate. Giles was in his very polite British way. He was just like, like, hey, no, fuck you. These are my actual sideburns this is really mine. I did just have a new concern pop into my head, which is I just imagined a lot of attention on the actor playing George Martin. And then there's a character playing the great engineer of the Beatles later years, Jeff Emmerich, who was really quite important to a lot of things. And that person just being an anonymous person in a lab coat who was never named and never referred to. That concerns me greatly. And <laughs> it would definitely match the way that unfortunately the official narrative has tended to go over the years. I'm just picturing myself in a theater boiling with rage as they just as the unnamed Jeff Emmerich character just scurries off setting off microphones. That's going to really bug me. I hope they don't do that. You know they um, will, though. I, I, you, you know there'll be a scene where they're doing Tomorrow Never Knows, and Jeff Emmerich is like, why don't we put the microphone underwater? Like, they're going to they're gonna have stuff like that. I no, mean, no, George Martin is going to be arranging the microphones. That's, they're gonna... We certainly hope they give credit to these people. I'm oh, no. guessing Chris Thomas is not going to be mentioned. I'm guessing there's a lot of... It'll be funny to see what they do with Billy Preston, who stole the show and get back. It's fair to say that everybody knew what a crucial part he was of that project. But to actually see the footage where he comes in and completely like changes the mood and the tone of everybody in the room. And it's like, wow, how can any fictionalized version of that scene compare with that? If I had to guess, they will be skipping the Get Back era altogether. If I had it, it's, it's so close to the actual documentary. If I were a filmmaker, I wouldn't want to touch that with it. With those memories so fresh in people's minds, I would not want to touch that. I, I will say, though, no doubt the extraordinary success and impact of Get Back Eight hours of the Beatles and people by the millions absorbing every hour, that combined with the biopic boom is, I'm sure, part of why... Oh, and by the way, they waited for the announcement of this until the Bob Marley movie's weekend results. And the very next day, they're like, we're in four movies. <laughs> it's quite noticeable. The timing was, I'm positive, not a coincidence. So th that, that totally makes sense. That very week. So they said, yep, we're doing it. We talked about how to handle John's darker side, but then the question becomes what the movie is. And it does immediately, my mind does go to Yoko. It does go to meeting Yoko and ending his marriage. That is certainly where a lot of drama is. And if the plot was being approved by his son with Yoko, I could also imagine it going that way. There's just so much drama. Although, again, I'm contradicting myself because you then you get into the Get Back era. So that's problematic. So maybe not. I don't know. Where do we go with John? What does one do with the John movie? I don't know. Honestly, like the whole, um, I feel if I had to bet on scenes that I would bet a kidney will actually be in the movie. There's going to be a scene after the divorce where, like, Paul is driving out to visit, like, Julian and Cynthia after mm. the divorce when John is no longer visiting them and when they're completely, like, you know, unspeakable, untouchable people in the Beatles camp. And Paul McCartney, in 1968, on a day off, this is what he chooses to do, is, like, drive off to, like to visit Cynthia and Julian. So many things about Paul McCartney just get weirder the more you think about them. It's fair to say that no other rock star of his generation would consider spending a Saturday afternoon that way. Uh, so but... the John movie should be about how nice Paul was to the family that John abandoned. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but Paul is driving out to see them and, and he's composing a song to sing to Julian and turns out to be the Beatles' biggest hit, Hey Jude. And I feel like so many scenes, because there's so many different characters in the movie who are such objects of fan fascination in themselves, I feel like we're going to get a lot of a lot of those people are going to be in the movie somewhere. Again, getting too close to Get Back era, but God knows I want Magic Alex on screen. That's a whole movie in itself. You want Magic Alex. The man who conned the Beatles, that's great. Judah Friedlander. Like, <laughs> I built a studio! The, 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 the bit character is the easiest ones to cast. Jeff Emmerich, you just need like, fresh-faced, like, late teenage plucky boy with, like, all these, like, ideas and just fresh-faced and... and unhumiliatable. It's not easy to cast a Patty Boyd, though. No, it's not. Guess who Patty Boyd would want to play her in a biopic, she said last year. Would it be Taylor Swift? It would. I don't see Taylor taking, like, essentially a bit part in a Beatles biopic. Okay, if they want to be geniuses, they would cast Taylor as Paul. Cast Beyonce as John. Cast Taylor as Paul. Like, that would totally be the way to do it. 
Again, I think we're seeing something a little less experimental for these, or else they would have hired. I want to see the Ari Aster for Beatles biopics. All four take place during acid trips. The Sam Raimi Beatles biopics, the camera is attached to one of Ringo's drumsticks. They'd get a little violent sometimes during some of the scenes. The scenes of fans are chasing them down the street, and then they, like, stop and devour them. It would be Hmm. because, like... I'd be interested to hear some of your favorite other Beatles, Beatles fictionalized movies, because they take such a wide variety of approaches. As you pointed out, an awful lot of them about the early days. Part of that has to be because Stu Sutcliffe is such a great character. Stu and and such a fascinating love story at the core of the Beatles origin story. And it lends itself so well to film treatments. It was the one for me. The one is the one I always loved, although I haven't seen it in a long time, is Backbeat. And Backbeat, again, takes place during the Hammer days. And I have a feeling it might not hold up. I was at the time very, I was obsessed with the way they did the music. I thought it was so cool, which was that they assembled like a super garage band. It's, it's truly a 90s fever dream, the band that made the music. So on vocals, it was like Dave Perner and Greg Dolly from Afghan Wigs. And on guitar, it was Thurston from Sonic Youth and Don Fleming and Mike Mills on bass and Dave Grohl on drums. And this came out in 1994. So you can imagine people if people can imagine what how perfectly zeitgeisty that was so i was obsessed with it at the time and i like the idea that it showed the sort of that hard-edged the hard edge the fantasy of the hard-edged beatles in hamburg era yes uh, and the way it, it brought the stew and astrid love story like front and center was like really beautiful and also the john and Stu incredible devotion between them and the sort of love triangle so to speak with john and paul and Stu and the way that they were competing for each other's attention i think that one holds up i love that movie the hours and times is just i think a fascinating and beautiful movie and that one really holds up and that's another one that's that one i have not seen 91 i think right Yeah, you know, it's fanfic. It's a documented trip that John and Brian Epstein took to Barcelona, just the two of them. And it's... Fraught, fraught subject matter, my goodness. Yes, very fraught. Love that one. Don't know. I love that one. I love ones... My favorite Beatles movies tend to be where a fan tells a fanfic story. I feel like those are the strongest because the parts that we do know that are well-documented, you know, there's less creative hand. I really... There are lots of moments in the Beatles story like this one where there's something that we know it happened we have no idea what happened when it happened and this is just like a fan's vision of it i can tell you probably my least favorite beatles related movie which is and i hurt some people's feelings with this on twitter but i really i do not like the movie yesterday i just i am not a fan of it i know some people were very touched by the john lennon thing it just spoiler warning (laughs) it came out five years ago (laughs) expired darth vader is luke skywalker's father and in the movie yesterday there's a part where uh it where it goes out and sees you know uh a decently cast older John Lennon in in this world where the Beatles never existed. I felt very manipulated by that bit. I didn't, it was sweet. I just, for whatever reason, I know that Paul claimed to like it. Who am I to say that I didn't like it, but I certainly respect that he liked it. I did not like it. It felt icky to me. And the whole movie just, to me, misunderstood. The Beatles, it vastly underplayed. I guess my most fundamental thing was a world building issue, which is the world would be much more different if the Beatles had not existed than it was in this movie. That actually, it would be much Every less... Every male yeah. character in the movie has hair that is possible because the Beatles wore their Thank hair you. that way. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Like, exactly. That kind of thing. Yes. Yes. And every, and, and the fact that the guy plays guitar, I love that, that the main guy was wearing a Fratelli's t-shirt and that he had like posters of the Fratelli's and the Pixies, like they would exist. Exactly. You know, like, Thank you. Without Thank the Beatles. You. Yes. But like all that stuff. And there's a great scene where he's he's performing in Russia and he does like back in the USSR. And it's like, hey, Ukraine and Russia aren't the same country anymore. You do know that, right? There's a war about that, that like thousands of people have been killed fighting over this. And it's just a scene of, it's like, yeah, the Ukraine. It's like, there were a lot of, the world building was very casual. It was like skipping that to get to the love story. And then they ended up not really having a love story because they had the girl and gave her nothing to do. I can see, it was a, I'll give it a nice try. I'll give it the nice try pass. But it also was like, it drove me insane that the idea that the Beatles songs could be conveyed just as well by a random, not that talented dude with an acoustic guitar. And a solo guy. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. 
saying. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yep. It drove me insane. I just thought it was it was so fundamentally misguided on so many plot and levels that I just couldn't. I, I hated it. Well, look on the bright side. Ed Sheeran was great. He was, actually. And he was. Also, I loved how the John Lennon, the alternate timeline, like John Lennon, like that he was a fisherman and like he wrote a book. It's like, hi, John Lennon having to support himself as a fisherman? He would have drowned on the first day. John was not a competent guy. <laughs> he obviously didn't read the thing about John on the boat uh, a couple years before his death. Yes, yeah. Like, there's no scenario where John Lennon would have been able to have a job. Like if he weren't a rock star, he would have been, you know, there's no scenario where, you know, he and Yoko would have built this life. There's a great scene where he's like sitting on his rowboat and you, you can see if you look closely, it's like it's upside down, but you can read that the boat is named Imagine. Oh, Jesus Christ. I think I missed that little Easter egg. I cannot imagine John actually <laughs> supporting himself. That just never could have happened. I literally, I cannot imagine a worse movie. How about that? I really, I hate that fucking movie. I really do. I really have a thing. As you can tell, I'm still getting worked up about it. I might not have disliked it as much if so many people didn't actually like it. I don't, I don't know what, I was so baffled by that. I could not stand it. But poor yesterday. I'm, I'm just, this just become brutalizing some movie from five it years ago. Well. Yeah. It meant well. But like <laughs> my favorite and my favorite like Beatles, like fictionalized version of, of story in the movie is Two of Us. Yeah. Which is a much disparaged, um, Y2K VH1 movie directed by Michael Lindsay Hogg, who originally directed the great video for Hey Jude, which talk about what a foundational part of the Beatles story that is, directed the original movie version of Let It Be and appears in a great comic comic supporting role in Get Back, where he does add a lot of, of, of comedy to these scenes. But Michael Lindsay Hogg did such a great version, I thought, but the cast for two of us, it, it's just an imaginary day in the 70s where Paul shows up at the Dakota, knocks on John's door, and then they spend a day walking around New York City and avoiding being recognized and like smoking weed in Central Park. And then they watch Saturday Night Live, the night that like Lorne Michaels says, like, we'd like to offer the Beatles $3,000. But it's really, it's beautifully done, but the casting is amazing. Aidan Quinn, we thought we knew what he was capable of. Aidan Quinn had been around for an awful long time since every girl at my high school was madly in love with him because of Desperately Seeking Susan. But he he was so great as Paul, and he was a great Paul scholar and brought like a, an absolutely mind-blowing amount of personal Paul scholarship to playing this role. And Jared Price as John Lennon, my favorite movie John Lennon ever, it's just mind-blowing. He, of course, sorry, Jared Harris, I'm confusing. I use, use the name from Lane Price, his great character on Mad Men. But another actor who already we thought we knew what he was capable of. But Jared Harris is just so amazing as John Lennon in that movie. It's absolutely brilliant. And for that movie to focus on that friendship, I feel like the John Paul friendship is such a movie in itself. I have a question for you. I'm sure you've seen this. I have not seen it. There's something from 1979, and it's actually on YouTube, but it's not been officially available for some time. It's one of those weird things where some things that are not officially available are actually more available than official things. You can just go on YouTube, but it's called, it's a, a 1979 Dick Clark produced biopic called The Birth of the Beatles. Yes. Uh, how is that? Okay. <laughs> Birth of the Beatles is great. Wow. Um, it was very gritty for its time, very unsentimentalized and very candid. It had, it, it focused a lot on the Hamburg part of the story. That's okay. I was a little kid watching this movie at the time. It aired on a Friday night. That meant I had to make the decision whether to watch this or Dukes of Hazard. Putting it in context, this was the first time in public it was discussed that Brian Epstein was gay. Wow. Uh, it's how I learned that. And it's a huge part of the movie. And we actually see some of the violence that Brian Epstein suffered routinely. It didn't go into his police harassment as much as it could have, but it did go into some of that. And it went into the Stu and Astrid love story. It was very candid and unsentimentalized in ways that were shocking. Definitely shocking for me watching it as a little kid at the time. Watching it later, I was really astounded and impressed by how non-pandering it was. And honestly, it would have been really different if it came out two years later. If it came out after John's death, it would have been a lot more sentimentalized. And but Birth of the Beatles, I think, is worth a look. It's it's quite good. The one thing that is really comically sentimentalized and gotten really wrong is the treatment of Pete Best, simply because Pete Best was a consultant on the movie. They treat the betrayal of Pete Best as the fall from grace. That's when the Beatles, that's when they bite into the evil apple. And 
the, and the premise is that Pete Best is a much better drummer than Ringo. And, and this is just the Beatles selling out because they're too tired of competing with how handsome Pete Best is. That's a big caveat. There is a, uh, from the year 2000, there was a British TV movie called The Linda McCartney Story. I must say I'm not familiar with that one. Yeah, I've never been able to bring myself to watch that one. <laughs> one that I really loved, it's a very little known one, and this is because it's not primarily about the Beatles, but it's a, a 70s movie, 77, 78, I think, called I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is just about a bunch of girls who love the Beatles who are following them around New York City in 1964 when the Beatles first come to New York and they're on the Ed Sullivan show. And it's about these girls who are the Beatles fans, but it's really, it's very funny. It's sentimentalized a little bit, like they learn lessons and they they find romance, but it's just a really like beautiful and emotionally very, although it's a comedy and a zany comedy. And of course, like the only time the Beatles are in it is when one of them sneaks into their hotel room and she's under their bed and you see their feet and you hear their voices one of them with a like hilariously like american accent they didn't overspend on the voice actors for this movie but <laughs> love it it's Ro- robert zemeckis yeah I'm it's his first movie his very first movie as it's, director am I pronouncing that right robert like, zemeckis yeah and yeah. it was the funny thing is it started out with uh, unfortunately that movie was a huge flop although people liked it and then the next movie he wrote was 1941 commercially it didn't have tremendous luck early on yet yeah, those are two two tough ones to start with <laughs> i want to hold your hand holds up a lot of it is more of a sort of zany teen comedy, but it treats the girls with respect in a way that was really out of step with 70s adult Hollywood perceptions of the Beatles, especially when you consider that this was happening around the same time as the Bee Gees movie of Sgt. Pepper. This movie was, I thought, like, I always love this movie. I recommend I Want to Hold Your Hand. Two of Us, I just think is great. I got to talk about it with Michael Lindsay Hogg. Met him. I was on a panel with him uh, a couple years ago, and it was really an honor for me to be able to thank him in person for this movie. And I honestly didn't know how he felt about it. And he just, he loves that movie and he loved talking about it and it was it, it was great but i think that is in terms of a loving portrait of the john paul friendship which is at the very core of the beatles and really the most crucial friendship in our culture like in terms we think of like two people being friends it's like one of them is john one of them is paul like it's a primal scene for two people being friends and working together and falling out and it's just a, a really beautiful portrait of that as I flip through looking at moments from all these movies, even the bad ones, the physical thing isn't going to be as hard as I thought. I think that they can get there. It's the, it, it's going to go beyond the physical. It's just going to be embodying them. And also, like we said, dealing with the idea that it, it's one thing to get them in the 70s. It's one thing to get them in the Hamburg days. It's another thing to get them in 1965. They're not going to expect exact doubles. I think if I had to guess, I think these will, I think the four movies, if I, I will say something else, which is the four in one year thing all by the the same director that is sounds like a studio exec's dream and it may turn out to be i will note that they don't have writers for these movies yet is that interesting yes it's like what we've <laughs> got here is a perfect track but we don't have a singer but we don't have a song yeah send me a cheeseburger and the new rolling stone but so it does feel a little bit like a corporate vision that once tested by reality might turn into just one movie or four movies over a period of years Four movies in one year is tremendously ambitious, and that ambition may or may not hold up against reality. It occurs to me. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I, I guess the track record of Apple with doing these things is they don't announce them until they know they can do them. They have no duds on their track record. It's really astounding considering how audacious, especially these like remix and outtakes projects have been. And it's funny to go back in time after we've all heard like how successful they were and to think like how people were not sure this was even a good idea. But it's a case where like I really trust the people who are who are managing this brand and this story, really. And of course, like so much of it is Paul being so involved in it and having and being like really good at Beatles storytelling, being especially good at it now and especially fond of it now in ways that he was more ambivalent with. Certainly in the 80s, this movie would have like been a mess of he said, no, he said, no, like it would have been. Did you ever see that? 
mind-blowingly terrible Beach Boys movie that John Stamos made? I did not. I skipped the that one, one. The one that was the Mike Love, the Mike Love version of the story where Brian Wilson is this like megalomaniac <laughs> madman who's like that. determined on, on ruining this band. And Mike Love is the one who keeps rescuing the band and great scene like Pet Sounds is the disaster that destroys the band. In, in terms of, That might be like the worst rock biopic I've ever seen in terms of how you handle conflicts and different accounts of the stories among the different band members. The anti-Brian, um, whatever one thinks about Mike Love, there isn't a whole lot of interest in, there isn't really a faction of Beach Boys fans who really hate Brian. That's just Mike Love. <laughs> they didn't do their market research on that one. They brilliantly cast Kevin Dunn as the heavy, as Murray Wilson. And like, Kevin Dunn is so brilliant as he is in everything. I hope they find a way to get him into the Beatles movie. Kevin Dunn, except he'd be too, like, funny. But like, I feel like he as Alan Klein would be really great. For some reason, I'm obsessed with the casting of Alan Klein. I think Gene Simmons. Oh. oh my God, that would be the best. That would be the best. Okay, I think you've closed the case already. <laughs> and listen, Brian Epstein is a great part. I, a Brian Epstein movie, a really good one, would be great too. It's an amazing, it's an amazing and poignant story, actually. But I think it will play out as a, it will, I imagine it will play out in some, in some way. I had no idea that small movie existed about Brian and John in that trip. Again, what a fraught. The story of John beating up a guy at, at that bar, that party was because he made a remark about Brian and John on that trip. Or at least spurred yeah. by that, rumors spurred by that trip. So I have to check that out. The Hours and Times. The Hours and Times. I had no idea, because it's a pretty small movie. That's fascinating. Good. And Nowhere Boy is great. It is weird, like you said, that there hasn't been a movie about Brian Epstein and about his story, his family. There's fantastic documentaries and the relatively recent biography by Debbie Geller, which is like really full of revelations that nobody knew about Brian Epstein's story. And because this whole story happened because... He had this crazy dream that that he brought to life. It's I can't even imagine how they're going to cast Brian Epstein in this movie, but he is definitely deserving of a movie in himself. Mal Evans is a really good book by Kenneth Womack that just came out that you interviewed him about. People joked about a Mal Evans movie, but honestly, the story of this guy who had this incredible proximity to the biggest band that ever lived and then had to go out into the world and try to figure out how to live his life after that and maybe wasn't cared for as much as they probably should have is quite a tragic and powerful tale in itself. That could be a, a, a great movie. And as well as them seen truthfully as a purely artistic prospect, the idea of them being seen through eyes like that may be honestly more interesting than a straight ahead biopic. But the straight ahead biopics is are what we're going to get. I love how after everybody saw Get Back, people like so fell in love with Mal Evans and Billy Preston. And heard so many people say like, wow, they're so great in this movie. Whatever <laughs> happened to? I'm like, don't Google them. Don't oh, God, Google right, them. Right, right. You don't want to know. You do not want to know either of those stories. You do not want to know how they ended. Ugh. Two things I will say to your point about Apple not making missteps. I'm not sure everyone would have said an eight hour long movie as Get Back was about the minutia of recording not even one of their best albums, although it's pretty great, but it is a, an album that they themselves have always maligned. From the outside, I think people, I actually do remember people, actually, people were mocking it. Oh, Peter Jackson, because it's also, he was known for overly long Hobbit movies. They thought it was going to be like some kind of like The Hobbit, except The Beatles, like just endless. But it, it was, every minute was riveting. And so I wouldn't count them out by any means. I, I think probably these things will be huge successes. And, and the other thing, not that the Beatles need to be introduced to anyone, but that it will, it's part of this legacy maintaining thing that they do where they will never let it die. And they will make sure that generation after generation continues to love the Beatles. Liberty must be refreshed with the blood of patriots. Like a fandom must be refreshed with a fresh, sexy young biopic. And that's what's going to happen. And then that this will, if it worked for Elvis and Queen, again, not that the Beatles need it, but you can always get more relevance and it's going to work. I but also, you make a good point. For the vast majority of these people, this, you know, the vast majority of Queen fans were not Queen fans while Freddie Mercury was alive. Like most Queen fans now are young folks who don't, you know, it's, 
it's weird with these bands. Some bands, and there's no need to talk about like bands that don't like fit into this, but like some bands need to be resold. Like, hey, don't forget about this band. They weren't that bad. And it's mind blowing to see which ones just don't need that at all. You do not need to sell Queen to anybody. And we're not to pick on yesterday again. I say as about to pick on yesterday again, but maybe the worst decision made with that movie was the tone of like, please don't forget about the Beatles. Please don't forget about the Beatles. Make sure kids know about the Beatles. It's like, have you talked to a kid? Right. They can't shut up about the Beatles. They do not need to be pushed up. They do not need to be proselytized for or defended. They're in no danger at all of being forgotten. I love like the scene where the old lady says like, a world without the Beatles is a world that's infinitely worse. And again, I'm like, talk to some kids. Trust me. Like, you don't need to worry about a world that's forgotten the Beatles. I, I do think that the success of the Marley biopic does mean opens the door for so many, there's so many black artists who deserve huge, big budget biopics. And I hope that this does open the door. Uh, Rolling Stone itself made a great little Richard documentary, but there should be a fire breathing incredible uh, Little Richard biopic. There, there should be Chuck Berry's a little tough. What would the interstate stuff and the toilet cams and whatnot? Maybe there's a way because I still would like to see a Chuck Berry biopic despite that. Again, I don't know how you get someone to play Aretha. Al or Gr Little Richard. But you just do it. Al Green could be an amazing biopic. There's so many stories that are out there for the taking. And again, I think that given until something flops, we'll get attempts at every single one of these things. And and also, where's the, like, there's so many women, too. I think there's a Joni documentary coming up. There should be a Joni biopic. There's, like, infinite stories. It'd be funny if they make so many music biopics that it'll be, like, superhero movies where people are begging for it to stop. And so many great movies, like... A running joke you and I have talked about many times is like how great it would be to make a movie about when Jimi Hendrix was in the army. That's true. That's true. Or just, you know, the period in Neil Young's career where he was in The Minor Birds with Rick James. <laughs> That's a Netflix series, obviously. Yes, it's The just, Minor yeah. Birds. And, but, and, and of course, Joni Mitchell, like a main character in that movie. <laughs> she was like hanging out with Rick James all the time, listening to Miles Davis in, in Toronto. Like the idea that there's all these episodes in rock history that as we get deeper into to telling these stories via film that you can have something like that because there are so many individual incidents in the Beatles career who wouldn't love to see a movie about like the day they recorded Tomorrow Never Knows who wouldn't love to see a movie about the weekend that they go see the Maharishi in London and then the next day they say hey you know what all four of us because we're best friends who want to spend all our time together let's jump on a train and go up to Wales and go to the Maharishi's re retreat and that turns out to be the weekend Brian Epstein does there's so many individual stories within the Beatles story. If these movies are going to be four movies and they're going to be two hours long, eight hours doesn't get you very far into the Beatles story. That's you true. You might not have, Brian, you might not even get in a Magic Alex scene. That's true. You might not, not even get a scene where he plays his new studio for George and for George Martin. The thing is, though, if they really pull off four movies and they're a big success and you have four actors who everyone accepts are the Beatles, you really think they stop there? They don't stop there. It's going to be <laughs> has the BCU lost its juice after the 10th movie that's like you know <laughs> I, I like the BCU until it went woke you know wow yeah so I guess yeah so I guess they'd have to get Paul McCartney in there the way they had to get Stanley into MCU movies that's right it's just infinite just keep it going that's all I can say uh, yes obviously I would love to see a movie about the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton making their <laughs> Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band movie and the Bee Gees saying like finally we'll wipe the Beatles off the map when people talk about Sgt. Pepper they will mean us Actually, and then I should say, speaking of running jokes on this podcast, I'm not sure if you realize that Anthony Kiedis's autobiography has been optioned for a movie. And that Thank is, God. yeah. Scar <laughs> Tissue is a goddamn classic. It's a, that it, is one of the best rock memoirs I've ever read. That Casting that will be interesting. And dealing with some very fraught things in that book and that band's story will also be interesting. Good luck to them with that. And I predict for that reason, that movie will never be made, is my prediction. Yeah, I feel like the time to make that movie would have been quite a few years ago or maybe quite a few years from now. But I would <laughs> respectfully suggest it's not getting made in the 2020s unless they decide to con the story like to where the entire movie is Anthony meeting the Dalai Lama and just chatting and like that's it'll be like a my dinner with Andre that's just Kitas and the Dalai Lama talking about about serenity. Yeah, I would dare say they might have wanted to read that book before they option it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so much to talk about. Four Beatles biopics supposedly coming out. Rob, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Brian. 
And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.